Welcome to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. To learn more about hope and our weekend worship opportunities, visit hopechurchmemphis.com. Today's message comes from community engagement pastor, Chad Johnson. Now we are smack in the middle of our own traveling, if you will, our summer series tour, right? Like a concert tour called The Way, where we're going through the Old Testament and looking at different destinations in which God stepped into areas and worked with his people. And hopefully, walking away learning something about who he is and how he cares for us during those periods of times. Now, as you just saw though, today we get the opportunity to to travel to Egypt. And uh, if we're in this concert series theme, I thought our opening song should be Should I Stay or Should I Go by The Clash, all right? So it goes a little something like this. Should I stay or should I go now? Right, if I go there will be trouble and if I stay it will be double. So come on and let me know. Your turn. Y'all are so good, everybody. Well done, well done. <laughs> no, for me, guys, this is the perfect theme song for explaining the relationship between Israel and Egypt, right? Should they stay in Egypt? Should they go into the wilderness? Or when they're in the wilderness, should they go back to Egypt? That's the question, right? If, if they go, it's gonna be challenging, right? It'll, it'll be trouble. But if they stay in Egypt, it's gonna be double the trouble. And of course, we know it was better for them to go. But let me look at this in a different angle, right? Let me ask this question. You ever had a blessing that turned into a curse? (laughs) Everything you thought you needed, when you got it, it wasn't just a problem, it was the problem, right? Maybe the home that you wanted wasn't really in the best neighborhood, or that car that you thought you needed ended up being more of a money pit than a joyride. Right? Or maybe you worked so hard all your life to pertain, attain a particular job, but in the end, when you got it, it wasn't the right fit. Or maybe you have a friend that ends up not necessarily being a friend, but an enemy in the end. You see, for me, before I was married, I found myself in a relationship that I later learned was a relationship wreck, if you see what I did there. I mean, it knocked me out, I was sinking. I, I, I couldn't, for the life of me, figure out why it hit me so hard when it ended. So I went to see a counselor to help me kind of make sense of the mess in my heart and my mind. And side note, I highly recommend that, right? They are skilled individuals that kind of help you piece things back together. Well, eventually this counselor helped me realize that I was trying to fix my childhood, my family experience, and my relationships. You see, my my future family hopes and dreams, I was putting all that weight on every relationship that I was in. And even to this day, if I'm not careful, I find myself working too hard to try to have a better family than I had when I was growing up. See, just a few months ago, I was working and stressing about something, I can't remember off the top of mind, something family related. And I realized it again, right? I was working on this family hope dream again. It's not a bad pursuit, but it can put an unhealthy stress on me and those around me. Well, in my time of prayer, I was hitting pause and God essentially said, boy, sit down and shut up. You ever had a parent tell you that before? I knew I was in trouble when that happened. And he essentially told me this. He said, the dream that you're working so hard for, you already have. You see, the blessing I was working toward kept me from seeing the blessing that I already had. It was there already. And I kept looking for the next thing in this dream without praising God for what he had already done that had come true in my life. I kept moving the standard without even realizing it. And if I'm not careful, my blessing will become my burden. 
See, Israel received freedom, but eventually in their freedom, they wanted more. They never realized they actually had God. Today, as we look into the destination of Egypt, we find a very similar situation with Israel. Right? They, they have already been given a promise to be the people of God through Abraham, but they continue to find themselves in want or need, even in the presence of God. You see, Egypt ends up becoming a pivotal location for Israel for many, many reasons, but we see two primary reasons that often come up uh, when Egypt is mentioned in the Old Testament. You see, in the Old Testament, Egypt represented worldly provision and power. Right, it had power because Egypt was always a powerful kingdom in the Old Testament. So much so that King Hezekiah, much later uh, in Israel's history, was at odds with another kingdom and they attempted an alliance with Egypt to help secure or ensure their security or victory. We see this reference in Isaiah's warnings in chapter 30, verses one through two. You can read that in your notes or check it out later. But it didn't end too well with Israel. But it was also provisional. Egypt was also considered provisions because it, all throughout Genesis, Egypt represented abundance in some form. Anytime that there was a famine in the land, the people of the land would head to Egypt because they had it all. You see, Israel found itself looking for blessings from Egypt, but they ended up finding burdens. But here's the kicker, here's the hanging question. If the people of Israel are the people of God, was his provision and power not good enough? Right, it's a question that we must ask ourselves today too. Is God not good enough for us? When we're in want, do we really want God? You see, Israel went to Egypt because Egypt had what they needed and wanted. They had worldly power, they had provision. And in their search to meet their needs and wants, they were enslaved for over 400 years. Their blessing became their burden. And they begin to cry out like our brother and sister up there for God's help. All right, think of it this way. Israel went to Egypt looking for provision, but they ended up leaving with the provider. They had God before, but they got to see something new afterward about him. And for the remainder of this sermon, we're gonna learn what Israel learned about God when dealing with Egypt. And so the very first thing that I want us to lean into that, that Israel learned, that we can learn today too, is blessings do not always equal good. Blessings do not always equal good. You see, Israel saw Egypt, that they had plenty and went to it. And in this particular case, God directed them to it. But why Egypt, a place that was not God's people, why did Egypt have abundance? You see, the modern day equivalent to this question is asking, why do ungodly people still get good things? Now bear with me, but maybe we don't really know what good is. How many of you are familiar with the mythological story Midas, right, Midas Touch? He was granted one wish from one of the mythological gods, and because of the incredible value of gold, he, was, he asked uh, this mythological god if, if he could uh, have his touch turn all things to gold. And as the myth goes, he realizes very soon that although he can turn whatever he wants into gold, he can no longer experience the simple blessings or good of food for his hunger, wine or water for his thirst, and worse yet, 
the touch of a loved one. You see, the blessing, quote unquote, that we think we want may not always be good. They could be more of a burden than they are really a blessing. Israel could easily have assumed that Egypt must be right with God because they had all that they needed. They were all blessed. Now, I'm not saying Israel believed that, but they could have assumed it. We might actually fall into the same trap when we see other people that are blessed with things that we don't have or things that we want. And we ask this question, or even in our prayer, why them and not us? Have you ever asked that before? And if you have, <clears throat> that experience, whatever you're desiring, might actually be your Midas touch. The very thing that we see others have, be it gold like Midas or the right house or car or relationship or clothes or job or family or kids, whatever it is, because we've desired it so much, we actually become enslaved to it. We don't stop working because we're chasing a dream only to find out that we never stop working to enjoy the dream. Or in all the shiny things of life that we try to acquire, we find out come with bigger burdens, bigger taxes, bigger commitments. You see, Israel went to Egypt to survive but ended up being their servants. I think Christians in America have fallen into the same trap we have made blessings in abundance and a, a sign of the good life, right? The good thing when in fact we've been blinded by it. Now, I don't know if many of you guys know this, but for many years, America was known for sending missionaries all over the world. But there are now missionaries all over the world who want to be sent to America. You wanna know why? It's because in all of our abundance, we have forgotten what it's like to be satisfied by God. Blessings are not always a good thing. They can blind us to the things that are truly good, which reminds us of another concern that I mentioned earlier. Is God really good enough for us? Is he enough for us? I'm concerned that when we're in want, we don't want God. We want God to fix it, but we don't want him. Or said another way, our next point. Can we praise God above our blessings and wants? Right? Can we praise him regardless of our blessings and wants? Israel went to Egypt for provision and found themselves as prisoners in their own pursuit. So be careful what you chase after because in the end, it might just catch you. Israel was held captive for hundreds of years and forced to work as slaves to survive. And the story that most people are familiar with is the fact that God rescued Egypt or Israel from Egypt by sending the plagues and delivering them through the Red Sea. That's the story that most people know. But do we know why God rescued them? Believe it or not, it wasn't just for their freedom. Their freedom was the way. See what I did there, the way? <laughs> is the way for the real reason why God rescued them. So let's look back at the times when Moses and Aaron confronts Pharaoh while delivering the plagues. You see, uh, before the first plague in Exodus 7, 16, they say to him, the Lord, all capital letters, the God of the Hebrews has sent me to tell you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But I don't know if you guys are like me, but I have seen that humanity have a, has a tendency to miss it the first time. And so I want to show you that before virtually every plague, he repeats the same exact phrase. So we're gonna do a little exercise. I'm gonna read the first part and after the comma, you read the second part. All right, 
And so it's on the screen. All right, before the second plague in Exodus 8.1, he says, let my people go. Right. The fourth plague, 8.20, let my people go. Fifth plague, 9.1, let my people go. Seventh plague, let my people go. Eighth plague, 10.3, let my people go. I think you get the point. Right, Moses didn't just stand before Pharaoh and say, let my people go, and in there. The reason for him letting his people go is so that they will worship him, serve him. Israel wanted just his freedom, but they didn't really know if they wanted God. We find that out when they get into the wilderness. So we need to check our own hearts to make sure we're worshiping our God and not his provisions. We may be asking for something from God, but we, do we really want him? We may think that we want him, but maybe we only want him for what he can provide. So let me compare two different stories of my children with you and see if you can spot the difference. When my oldest son was a toddler, uh, he could only be pacified by this little passy that was connected to a stuffed animal, right? We couldn't go anywhere without this specific one. He had to have the tiger one. Not the llama one, not the elephant one, it had to be the tiger one, right? It was his comfort blanket, right? He could be crying for all sorts of reasons, but once he got that tiger passy, all was right with the world, right? Well, one time we were traveling out of town and we decided to go to this huge, big field maze as a family. Uh, and well, we completed this maze and it load, we then loaded up the car and then started heading back home. And it was about a 20 or 30 minute drive back home. And some of you guys have already picked up probably where this is going. We got about five minutes into the drive back home when my son starts crying and he was about to lose his ever loving mind. Why, we were frantically searching the bags, my pockets, everybody else's pockets, the whole car, everyone was searching everywhere because that stinking tiger passy was the only thing that was gonna comfort him and it was nowhere to be found. Well, it wasn't long before we realized that the passy had to have fallen out in the field maze. So you better believe we drove all the way back to the field maze and we searched that joker like nobody's business. We spread out like a covert mission, yelling over people in the maze like, clear, 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 moving through this whole maze. I'm sure people thought we were crazy, but believe it or not, we found the tiger passy and all was right with the world. My son was satisfied. Now my youngest son, he still uses a plain pacifier. He doesn't have a passy on it, but he wants something different when he's ready to calm down or he needs to be comforted. He wants my hand, right? We'll be traveling in a car for a long trip or something and I'll look in the rearview mirror and he starts to begin to get upset and starts crying and I see uh, in his rear facing car seat a little hand pop up and just start reaching. He, he wants one of his parents' hands to be comforted. He loves hands, specifically my wife or mine. He'll bend each knuckle, pick at each nail and cuticle, and eventually cling to one finger or two tightly before he falls asleep. Now, this isn't an illustration of the character of my kids and how much they love me. They both love me. But in this particular case, it's an illustration to see which son are you. You see, my oldest son wanted me for what I could give him. My youngest son wanted me just for me being me. Which one are you? They both love me, 
but one was more pacified by my presence than in their wants and needs. And in our wants and needs is God's presence enough. Israel was crying out for freedom, but they ended up getting a redeemer, which was more than they ever asked for, far more than they ever prayed for. They were praying for freedom, but they got God. So God provided them freedom and redeemed them from captivity under Egypt and led them into the wilderness where he established them and how he showed them to worship him. But it still wasn't good enough. You see, Moses was on top of uh, the mountain of Mount Sinai, and he was getting uh, the ways in which we honor God and worship God along with the Ten Commandments. And once again, Israel couldn't wait for God. At the base of the mountain, they started building an idol so that they could worship the one who rescued them out of Egypt. This is in Exodus 32, two through four. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. Don't miss this, guys. They wanted to worship God, but they built an idol with their possessions. See, Israel is you and me. We are them. We build idols out of our possessions and we worship it, thinking that we're giving thanks to God for his blessings, but we're really just worshiping his provisions. Now, let me land the plane with this last point, and really, it's the overall purpose of this message. Can we trust God to be our portion? Can we trust God to be our portion? Psalm 73, 26 tells us that my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can God really be our portion? Can he be enough? I heard this verse not too long ago and I haven't been able to shake it, so much so that I, I wanted to add it to my daily routine. And I encourage you to do the same. So whenever you feel a desire or need or want, perhaps a frustration because something didn't go the way that you want, maybe you didn't get the right food or on the right time when you're going out for lunch or whatever, or maybe you wake up to a tire that's flat or maybe you've got a bill that's unpaid that's sitting on the counter. Before you begin to stress and get angry or frustrated about these certain things, say this short prayer, the Lord is my portion. And it helps really kind of check our hearts. It checks my heart to see if I'm praying to God for him to fix things, give me more provision, or is he enough for me when I'm facing these challenges of discontent? Now, uh, I needed to ask myself when I ask, is the Lord enough, is he my portion? Was I in a relationship with him because of my love for him or what he can give me? See, there's a beautiful imagery that God gives us as the people or his people in, case, uh, in this case of Israel. It's the imagery of marriage. You ever heard that phrase in the marriage vows in plenty and in want, right? The commitment that the, they make to one another. Oftentimes when God reminds Israel of their vow with them, with him, he reminds them of Egypt. He says, I am the God who rescued you from Egypt when you had nothing and I broke you out of slavery. I am the God that personally committed myself to you. But are we committed to God as he is committed to us? 
In our plenty and want, do we go searching for old ways or other ways to find our provisions? Did you know that Israel actually found a new name for God because of their personal experience and rescue from Egypt? You see, before Egypt, the Egypt experience, God was known to them as Elohim, right, the creator. But when God stepped into their lives, God shared his personal name in this way, to be Yahweh, a personal God, the God of the Hebrews. When Moses asked God who he should tell the Israelites that sent him, God called himself I am, and then he told him to tell them this. It's in Exodus 3:15. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, all capital letters, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. Right, this name is Yahweh. When we see Lord in all capital letters, we're actually reading the Hebrew name Yahweh. That's the distinction. This is the name that God gives himself that we refer to when we understand his personal relationship with his people. So let me give you this example. In the same way that, that man or woman changes to husband or wife, in a lot of ways it's kind of like God's name, Elohim, now being referred to as Yahweh. He doesn't cease being Elohim in the same way that man or woman doesn't cease being that in their marriage. But husband or wife highlights one's relationship with another. The name Yahweh highlights that God, the creator of all things, has intimately and purposely committed his love to his people. But are we betrothed to him in plenty and in want? Are we united with him because he captures our love and attention? Or do we love him because of what he can give us? Anybody in the right mind knows that you shouldn't enter a marriage based off of someone's, what they can give you. That's not healthy, it's not built off of the right things. But then why don't we ask ourselves the same question in our relationship with God? Do I love him for who he is versus what he can give me? You see, they may find themselves in the situation like we do if we, if we come after him with what he has Asking yourselves, do I love God for what he gives me or do I love him simply because he loves me? You might find yourself like Israel wanting to go back to Egypt even though you know it was worse off there. Say, so should you stay in Egypt, run back to your old ways or should you run into the presence of God? And if you do, it won't be easy but you'll experience a joy and a freedom like you've never experienced before. You may not find your life overflowing the way that America defines blessings, but you will have a peace and wisdom that surpasses all understanding. This evening at the stirring, I'm actually going to go into this a little bit more to continue the journey with Egypt and see how we can actually be more intentional and apply some things to seek after this contentment in our plenty and in want with God. So I wanna personally invite you to join me in the South Hall in person or wherever you are online to continue this journey through Egypt. And a little plug here, it's called The Way, Content with Egypt, question mark. And as much as I enjoy this sermon, I'm really excited for this one, so I'd love to see you there if you have the chance. But as I close, I wanna leave you all with this question again. Should we stay or should we go? Should we hold on to the idea that God's love is about blessings? Or should we continue to desire the old habits, the old ways of our old life, our old burdens? Or should we go? 
It'll be worse. It may, it, it may be a little troubling. But if we go, it won't be easy, but it'll be worth it. Because you'll find a peace and a joy that never dies. Why? Because you will find that you'll have a relationship with the one who defeated death in Jesus Christ. He didn't defeat death just for our salvation, just for our redemption from our sins. That's huge and important. He defeated death so that we may worship and serve him in all that we do. We don't seek him just for his freedom from our sin. We seek him because we love him. And he wants us to worship him, to have him and to hold him in plenty and in want. Just like my son's pacifier story, can we be satisfied with God alone? Or do we want something else to pacify us? You see, I encourage us all today to add this simple prayer when we find ourselves desiring more than just God. And it's just like this, Lord, Yahweh, be my portion. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you today, uh, maybe in plenty, maybe in want. But, but may we find contentment in you. May we find such a peace and a joy and a wisdom of being madly in love with you in our plenty and in our want. Lord, be our portion today and the rest of our days. In name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Hope Church Memphis podcast. I'm Daniel Openeisen, musical worship director. If you were encouraged by today's message, hit subscribe wherever you stream your podcast. To experience previous messages, videos, and our live worship service, visit our YouTube channel and follow us on Facebook, TikTok, and Instagram.